this passion for helping these kids needs to be as direct as possible. And this is the, the most direct way I know how to share joy with others is by offering them something that they wouldn't otherwise get the chance to. Welcome to the Good Tidings Podcast, where we highlight and inspire a community of givers with your host, the founder of the Good Tidings Foundation, Larry Harper. This month's podcast finds us sitting at the home of Eddie Donnellan in San Francisco's Sunset District. We're about a block from the iconic Ocean Beach. Our guest is certainly become a very dear friend of mine over the past few years. So, Eddie, welcome to the Good Tidings Podcast. Thanks, Larry. Uh, it's my pleasure to be here. So, uh, we first met back in 2018 when the Good Tidings Foundation came to the Edgewood Center for Children to refurbish the entire playground and also build a basketball court for the great Hall of Famer Rick Barry. And at the time, you were working at Edgewood. So, tell us first about Edgewood which was really opened as a refuge for orphans of the gold rush way back in 1851. Yeah, so that was an amazing court you guys built. Still there, standing tall, uh, colors still bright, so no need for any uh, refurbishing yet. So yeah, Edgewood, I started working at Edgewood in 1998, and I worked there for up until just this last April. Edgewood started, as you mentioned, as an orphanage for children of the gold rush, because basically you had families like dropping everything and moving to the, the gold country and just ditching their kids. So these nuns, bless their souls, started Edgewood. And I believe that was in 1851. So it wasn't quite the 49er year, but it was soon after they realized that th these kids needed some help. And so it's the largest, to my understanding, maybe this isn't true to this date, but for a long time, it was the largest nonprofit west of the Mississippi, serving the most amount of children. I worked in the residentially-based services, meaning where kids that have been removed from their homes for whatever reasons, usually just as products of their environment and due to their behaviors, due to the trauma maybe they faced and endured in their home life. But there's also an extensive community-based program that spans through the East Bay, San Mateo, just across the whole entire Bay Area, just making sure that the community is that is the most in need is getting as much as they can. And Edgewood does a really good job of providing um, resources for those families. So I worked there, as I said, for, for quite a few years, 22 years. I just left in April of this year to focus on Water. Yeah. Yeah, it was a great project for us to go there. It's just such an interesting population of kids, and, and we've served so many, and you just never know where the next project takes you and then types of kids that need, you know, your help. So I, I really enjoyed that project. Yeah, thank you. It, I mean, it was, the impact was massive. I mean, obviously we already had a basketball court, but we certainly didn't have anything that compared to what you guys provided to the blacktop area there. And also to kind of piggyback on what you're saying with these kids, you know, I mean, I've seen the best and the worst outcomes, you know? And when I say best, I mean best. And when I say worst, I mean worst. And you just never know, but everybody deserves a chance. And that's kind of what, what Edgewood instilled in, in me in my years there and also what had already been instilled with me by my mother as a child, so. Yeah, uh, very cool. So uh, a few months after opening that project, 
as you know, I was diagnosed with some cognitive decline and, and kind of the early onset of dementia. And in this country, treatment really of any consequence and success is sadly non-existent. And you're kind of left to your own a little bit, especially if you want to kind of fight it in a more holistic way, in a more positive way. And so I found so much positivity that came out of the ocean and the research that came from the ocean, from the ions and the quality of the oxygen and the amino acids and the cold therapy, of course, you get from being in the water here in Northern California. And right around that same time, my daughter told me about this documentary film called Fish People, Lives Transformed by the Sea. And it's such a wonderfully shot piece that's produced by Patagonia and directed by your friend Keith Malloy. And as I'm watching it, and it's so great, one of the stars of this movie is one Eddie Donnellan, yourself. This person I had just met, and I had no idea about this other side of, or the real side of, of you. So tell us about Fish People, how that came about, and what that really meant to kind of, you know, help bring awareness to me water. It was interesting. So I, uh, as you mentioned, Keith Malloy, who directed the film, is a is a close friend of mine, and he saw on social media just as I was beginning Me Water. So he had so back. I'll backtrack a second. He has known for many years the work that I've done at Edgewood and with kids and stuff, and um, he's always been really intrigued. And he's also a filmmaker. You know, a very I guess you call famous surfer. And when he saw the post, so I started a social media for Me Water when it was very very much in its early stages, and he saw this picture, and he was just kind of like. Wow. I mean, so um, he contacted me. He wanted to know more about it. You know, he's like I said, he's always really intrigued by he's got a big heart. He's just a really great guy. And so he he was making this film and he reached out to me, said, hey, I want to include you and in, I want to include what you're doing in this film. And I was just like, whoa, OK. And he's like, think about it. I'm just putting this together. He's like, but you're like one of my top people. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. I didn't think much of it because I knew it was in early stages of, you know, pitching the the idea or whatever. And then he contacted me like it was really a lot quicker than what I thought it was going to be. Like, I think it was like a week later. He's like, yeah, we're going <laughs> to. Yeah, yeah. He's like, we're going to do it. And I was like, oh, OK. And I kind of left it at that. And he said, we got to pick some dates. And so we picked some dates um, in early fall. And as we got closer to production, I guess you call it. He said to me, hey, I, I need to let you know something. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, what, what is it? You know, and he said, well, this isn't, this is a feature on you, not on your foundation. And at that point, I was just, I was a little bit like, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I wasn't, I, I was really kind of, I'll be honest, I was just kind of uncomfortable with being like featured in a movie. But he was like, look, I'm profiling individuals. We're going to envelope, we're going to include like what your foundation's work is, but we're going to tell your story. And it's too late to say no. Um, <laughs> I love that. I got to remember that line. <laughs> yeah. And when he said it was too late to say no, he meant it. So it's yeah. either like losing me as a friend or no, it wasn't that, it wasn't on the, that level. But, anyways, um, so yeah, so we planned out some days. I kind of mapped out kind of a little storyline. So you can say I was semi producer to my segment. And, you know, we included a young boy named Anthony, who I'd known since day one of Me Water. I knew him through Ed Edgewood's community-based programs, and he's been coming with us since day one, and he had a really interesting story. 
about being raised by his grandmother, Shirley, who I'm really, you know, they're like family to me and my family at this point, and how he'd lost his father who was incarcerated and had a seizure or an asthma attack, I believe, in jail. Um, and, you know, the whole Fish People story tells it. But it was quite a process to go through. I mean, filming, having somebody come around with us. But in the long run, it really put, I think they did a beautiful job with telling the story. It's amazing that you see, you know, you do like seven days of filming kind of up and down through your whole day and, you know, you get like a 10 minute segment sure. or something, you know, so, but they did, I think they did a really great job with it. And so what that did, you know, it, it put us on the map, so to speak, you know, it was a, it was a film that was only premiered worldwide, but just at like film festivals or Patagonia showings and whatnot. So it got, you know, it got our name out there per se, but then, you know, once it went on Netflix, then that kind of put it out to the millions and millions, which was really cool because then it it definitely, you know, surf therapy. And, and to go back to what you were speaking about, you know, the ocean, I don't think you asked this question, but but you told kind of your story. But the ocean for me has always been a just kind of my outlet of safety, you know, a place to go when going all the way back to when I started surfing and my upbringing, you know, I was raised by my mom. I never really had a strong father figure in my family. And my, you know, I didn't, my mom did an amazing job of raising me, but there was a lot, there was a lot missing there. And so, you know, there was a lot of times in my life where I think there was underlying frustrations, even anger about what my situation was. But I was so young and at that age, you're emotionally not able to kind of, I guess, kind of translate that into words. But the ocean was a place that that, that gave me that space, right? And it still does to this day, for better or for worse. You yeah. know, the ocean's provided me a lot. It's probably taken a lot from me too. <laughs> um, you can ask my wife about that. Yeah, so that's how fish people came to play. And then, like like I said, once it you know once it got to, seen by a broader audience, that kind of helped spread the word about what we're doing and the you know and the relevance of the ocean as like a as a therapeutic place, I guess, is for different types of therapy, you know. And for and in your case, I mean, when when you had reached out to me, your whole story really resonated with me. Yeah, yeah, and and I just before we jump ahead a little further, I, I do want to recommend people who have Netflix or Prime Video and the Patagonia website to really go to watch fish people, whether you are a fan of the ocean or surfing or fishing or what have you. It's just a very conscious effort on what the ocean can provide to people and what it provides to so many. And it's just a, it's a feel-good movie for everybody, the whole family. So anyway, yeah, uh, yeah I did reach out to you. It was funny, I, right after I saw the, the video, you know, I'm typing an email to you at Edgewood saying, Hey dude, I didn't know anything about this, <laughs> but here's my story. And I'm, you know, I'm slowly getting into all this stuff that the ocean can provide and certainly reached out to the International Surf Therapy Association, our friend Chris Permisio, and just trying to find out all the stuff I could find out about what's really happening. And so much of the success of this ocean work and therapy is not in this country, unfortunately. So many other countries are supporting it, but it's now coming here, which I think is great. But I, I said, hey, can you take me out surfing? And then like the next day, we, we headed out to Lindabar and Pacifica. And one thing I, I, I find interesting, especially now spending more time with you and other people in the water, people get hung up on surfing like, boy, I have to have a surfboard. I have to stand up on a surfboard. It's just, you know, I, I just can't imagine. But Surfing is just about being in the surf. Yes. Right? I mean, it's just about being in the water, whether you have a bodyboard or nothing or swimming or standing or surfboard. And obviously, there's something about that that you were drawn to as an early age, too, and saw that 
how this not only helped you, but it could help others. Absolutely. So going back to when you had contacted me, what was really interesting, it was kind of like a serendipitous type, did I say, I think I said that right, serendipitous type moment, right? Because as I've mentioned to you, you know, dementia and has been uh, has been in my family and it's a different type of dementia than, than kind of what you've um, shared with me as a frontal lobe dementia with my father passed away from and both my aunt, his sister and his brother both have and had and now have passed away. So a really aggressive frontal lobe dementia, which is extremely rare in itself, but then to have within siblings is beyond rare. And so when you contacted me, I was like, wow, man, this is this is meant to be. So, you know, I'd already met you, you'd already done all this great work. And I mean, I was so impressed by your whole, I guess your whole just deal that I was like, man, I gotta, I gotta hang with this guy, right? <laughs> I mean, not that I don't drop the ha- drop my hat to go just go surfing with anybody, but with you, it just it just seemed like it was really meant to be. And it was such a joy to share that experience with you as it still is. Yeah, the ocean it as it did when I was a kid and as it does for me now, it's like I mentioned, you know, it's, it is this place where I can go and kind of everything kind of washes away for that moment. And also just in that, the process of things washing away, or maybe not, you know, any sort of anxiety or stress or, you know, things that I have on my mind, they tend to not surface in the ocean. And that to me really defines like a therapeutic process, right? Anything that you can do, especially natural and free and organic, non-medicinal, I mean, the ocean is like a medicine and has been like a medicine for me in my life for a long time and to many others. So as that's translated into my work with Me Water, I've always felt that it's kind of my duty to share that with with these kids and specifically with kids that we serve that don't typically, rarely would have this opportunity to to get this this chance, right? So these kids, you know, where they're coming from and, you know, we've We've talked a lot about this, but the neighborhoods that they're coming from, whether it be Bayview, Hunters Point, you know, Visitation Valley, Tenderloin, you know, you name it, you know, the beach, the ocean isn't necessarily part of their normal, I would say, like family repertoire, so to speak. You know, it's not somewhere that there's a lot of fears around it. There's, you know, there's socioeconomic barriers. There's, I'm a white male. There's race barriers. There's all kinds. I mean, you know, obviously I'm a white male, <laughs> but that that's important for me to say, you know, in this and because it's. I spent a lot of time acknowledging that in itself, right? And there's nothing I can do about that, but there is something I can do about sharing experiences with others. And that's why this work is so important to me. That's why, you know, at the end of the day, that's why I'm no longer doing the other work that I was doing because I I reached a point in my life where I realized that like this passion for helping these kids needs to be as direct as possible. And this is the, the most direct way I know how to share joy with others is by offering them something that they wouldn't otherwise get the chance to. And that I got the chance to as a child. Yeah. Yeah. And I know when people think of surfing, especially in Northern California, the first thought is, oh, you got to go to Southern California or I need to go to Hawaii. Yeah. But as you were a born and raised San Franciscan, the surfing vibe in San Francisco is legit, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, growing up, you know, surfing was a lot less popular up here. And that was the beauty of it in the sense that there wasn't a lot of people surfing. So you were able to explore and it was just all so brand new and raw and there was no surf industry up here whatsoever. You know, there was only a couple of surf shops where you could go get surf gear and whatnot. I mean, I know my garage looks like a surf shop, oh my but goodness. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say you open the garage door and I would 
say this is as good a surf shop as there is in Northern California. <laughs> there might be 200 wetsuits. There's 40 surfboards. I feel like what a what a great spot to be hanging out with you. But anyway, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so it was, it was just a, at that time, surfing was much different. And now I'm going to sound old because I am, but life was different. And so as it plays out now, what, you know, what drew me to the ocean, like I kind of went into earlier was that I, you know, I needed that place and there could have been a lot of other places that I went besides the ocean, considering some of the circumstances I was faced with and, you know, single mother and, and whatnot, you know, there's influences that can, that can steer you one way or the other in life, you know, what, whether you're a teenager or an adult, you know, whatever that is, but especially during those teenage years where, you know, where you're not, you haven't really, even though you think you've got it figured out, you, you don't have anything figured out, you yeah. know, and it's so easy to fall down the wrong path. And by no means am I saying that I've always been perfect, but the ocean has been the one consistent place and space in my life where it's kind of never let me down, you know? And then when you think about me water days, I'll say it, there's been, I've had some bad surfing days, but me water days never had anything near a bad me water day yeah. ever, Yeah. you know, not even close. Yeah. Tell us about the mission of me water and where did that name come from? Well, the mission of me water is, I mean, I've kind of gone into it a little bit, but the mi mission of me water is to inspire, educate the children of, and families with an emphasis on mother nature. So we don't just sure, I think like the, the core of what we do is ocean-based, but we also take kids up in the mountains and then go surfing, or we go camping and then go river rafting, or we go up to Yosemite and go rock climbing, or we go. And so the possibilities are endless with what our, our mission is. And it's really essentially to provide an opportunity and access to youth and families that might not otherwise have this access or this opportunity to enjoy mother nature. And by mother nature, again, it's, it's pretty, it's a pretty broad and what, like, there's a lot of things that we want to do that we haven't done because, you know, the, the, earth, the, the, the trees, the mountains, you know, the rivers, the lakes, the ocean, all these things for me personally, I still get like, I just went river, we're taking some kids river rafting. And so this is something cool too, because like by no means am I an expert at river rafting. I mean, I am not a river guy, but a friend of mine is. This friend of mine, she's a river guide and, you know, she's offered to take us up. And so we're going to go camping up on the river and, you know, and then we're going to get in the boat the same as the kids. Sure, they're going to have more fears, but I, you know, I, again, I'm comfortable in the water, but in a river, if I fall off the boat, you know, <laughs> I'll be wearing a helmet. Let me tell you that. Sure. Sure. Um, so, yeah. So, it's just about, again, with the Me Water mission, it's about providing this opportunity. It's really some, and we really try and not turn down kids, meaning so if there's a group of kids that maybe have a little bit, maybe they maybe they have more resources than our typical kids that we serve. If they ask to come out, they can come. You know, it's, we'll be on the beach some days and there'll be a family out there that their kids will be looking at us. You know, the kids will be having so much fun that are with us. And, you know, they'll, they'll be checking us out and we'll just say, hey, get your, go get your mom here. Here's a waiver. Come join us. <laughs> you know, these kids, man, they get out there and, you know, I mean, you were with us the other day and, yeah. you know, like these are kids who have never been to the beach, let alone in the ocean. And I remember speaking to one of the volunteers and they were asking me, is this, is this really their first time at the beach? And I was like, yeah. I'm like, I asked the guy, it was his first time volunteering. I said, do you remember the first time that you you went to the beach, you know, or you went in the ocean. And he was like, you know, I, I don't remember. And I'm like, well, let me tell you something. 
I'm not going to say that this is a guarantee, but I bet you these kids will remember the first time that they went to the beach yeah. and went in the ocean. And, and you're a part of that, so thank you for being here. And the guy was... And I had never said that. I'd never really thought that. But it was one of those thoughts that come up in your mind as you're watching magic happen. Yeah. You know, because the kids are just playing. I mean, fearless four-year-olds. Well, you know, my kids, when they were four, they, they were not that fearless, you know, because they, maybe they'd been to the beach when they were two, and they, they kind of understood. But, you know, you, you, it shows the, the innocence of joy. And so providing that magic is like... At the end of the day, you know, I'm tired, you know, and just yeah. doing these days. But all I got to do is think about that, you know. Yeah. And this, and the volunteer was just—he was tripping out. He was like, "Yeah." He was like, he kept on coming to me. He's like, "I can't remember." I'm like, "Yeah, I know," because because this is something that was probably part of your life, you know. This isn't part of these children's lives getting this chance to do it, and yeah. that's why we're here. And he and it was so, and those kind of aha moments still after many years of doing this still pop up in my head. Yeah. And and that's going to keep me doing this for a really long time. Yeah. Well, I saw yeah. that yesterday. I mean, we were out at uh, Miramar Beach in yeah. Half Moon Bay, and I saw that one little girl. She was probably four years old. And what's interesting, too, when I first time I volunteered for you and you said, oh, you half these kids have never swum before. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. Okay, how's this going to work? Yeah. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> but then there is something about it in this little girl yesterday, which is right in on it. And, and granted, we're in water that's not deeper than them, and they're yeah. staying in the, the foam and what have you. But you know, of all the programs we do, athletics and arts and music, there is no way those clear a kid's mind and the joy on their faces is as much as it is when they're in the ocean. There's something about that. Everything with their their whole area of where they are raised and where they live, they've completely forgot about that, their whole situation, and they are just so happy in doing something new, and you cannot get that anywhere else. I don't think. Yeah, I think the ocean is unique in that sense, right? Because it's it's ever moving. One step is not the same as the next even, you yeah. know? Like one step it's there's no waves, next step there's a wave, you know. Next next, you know, you fall down, you get back up, you know. I mean, you saw kind of <laughs> I did a real basic safety talk with them and it was really just about if you fall down get back up get up you know yeah. and i've had people come to my groups before and then that's really that's that's the safety call you know <laughs> and i'm like well yeah i'm like it's life you know you fall down you get back up and there's somebody right th and the and the difference is in this situation i guess and again this is another aha, aha moment i'm having is that you fall down you get back up and you know what there's a hand right there to help you get back yeah. up and yeah. that's that's why we're there doing that yeah yeah, yeah. I, I love that there was almost one volunteer per kid and yeah, and, yeah. and and so they feel good that's there's somebody standing there right next to them. Yeah, yeah, right? And you don't always have that in life. You certainly don't have that in a lot of these neighborhoods that these kids are coming from. Yeah. And that and I don't say that in by any means as in a from a perspective of judgment or that there aren't families and solid mentors in these neighborhoods because there are. There are. But it's important that that we're providing that when we're doing it because I think it it does add the extra layer of safety and care that that the kids feel, and then comes the joy. Because without safety, it's hard to have joy, you know. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of elements of these neighborhoods that are not safe, you know. And so you know when you're able to provide the joy with the safety, I think it it just they go hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah, and I tell people, and Me Water is a case in point how to build a successful charity. 
And it has to come organically. It's not like a for-profit business and you have a strategic plan and you have all these goals and milestones that you hit. A successful nonprofit, its growth has to come organically. And I think yours has done that. Yeah. I mean, when you're first doing it the way that I've done it, which is obviously out of my garage, which I loved hearing that you did the same thing. That was a big um, inspiring moment for me when I stopped kind of punching myself in the not in the face, where I started hitting myself against the wall. Like, you know, I'm still in my garage doing my foundation. But for me, it's all relational, you know. And most importantly, that relationship begins in these communities and the, within these, whether they're organizations or families, you know, like there's a trust that comes from relationships that you can't fake. And especially, you know, I've mentioned this before, but just, you know, as a white male... I think it's fair to say that you need to build that trust and you need to earn that trust. Even if it's what you're doing is just giving back, right? You need to be able to earn that trust. And I acknowledge that 100%. Yeah. And it's really important to me. Yeah. Um, sometimes the motivation is questioned initially. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, th and I think that's fair. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. I totally think that's fair. And I welcome that difficult conversation when I'm presented with it. Mm-hmm. And I don't shy away from it. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not going out of my way to, to go there unless it's brought to me. But I want to hear it. Yeah. You know, I want to hear it because I'm not perfect in any way, shape, or form. And what we're sure the intentions are as pure as, as pure as I can think of. However, I do think that, like you said, motives or motivation can be questioned. And they should be. Yeah. I, I already said that. But. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of that came out of that the social unrising that happened last year and thank god it came to the forefront and now it's hopefully mainstream certainly a lot of people felt they had to jump on the bandwagon yeah i think we'll see how many people stay with it and develop programming that is wasn't just in response to that but is ongoing forever and ever and i think i think there's going to be a lot of that but you know over a year ago obviously covid hit and even during covid which i found a hard to believe oftentimes through that 16 month window, the beaches were even closed, you know, even though they yeah. said, Oh, you can get outdoors, you can do that. But they, the beaches were shut down. And, and so you've all already developed these relationships with these families and they yeah. rely on you to some degree. And you started to find out more about their food inequities, which really came to the forefront during COVID. So tell us about how you pivoted during COVID to help some of these families that you're close to. Yeah, so so that's something that we've always kind of done just kind of quietly for families, you know, is when we saw a need, whatever that need was, we would just kind of do what we could. That could be from food to shoes to kind of almost whatever, beds and, you know, things like that, you know, because when you're relational, you have an understand there's trust. You know, some families might not be willing to share what their struggles are, but if they're, they trust you that, you know, that that goes a long way. So, yeah. so there's that. And then when COVID hit, you know, at first there was so much uncertainty as to what was going to happen, you know, this and that. What I knew pretty sh quickly was that we weren't going to be doing, we weren't going surfing. Yeah. So I remember actually speaking with the medical director, Matt Edgewood, who I've known for a very long time. He was, he had a little piece in Fish People. And I remember talking to him. I said, hey, how long do you think this is going to last? And he looked at me and he said, I think it's going to last a very long time, Eddie. And that's all he said. And I was just kind of like, because at that point, I was, I mean, I have to share this. Like, I was thinking about 
and you and I had talked about this. I was thinking at that point about like jumping, you know, jumping into me water full time. And I was just like, so there was like a selfish piece of it. Yes, we're all selfish at times where I was like, damn, you know, like, guess I'm not doing that now. But then, you know, then my, I just started to think about like what we could do. And I was like, oh, well, you know, we'll, we'll give what we have towards families with food. But, you know, that's, that's easier said than done, you know, unless you have funding specific to it. So then I got to give credit to a friend of mine, Taylor Paul, who's just a wonderful friend of mine. He asked me, he said, what are you guys going to do during, you know, during COVID? And I said, well, you know, we're, we're quietly giving families, you know, food and stuff. And he's like, well, why don't you, he just straight up said it to me, right? Right off the bat. He's like, well, why don't you just raise money? I'm getting better at it. But one of my hardest things is asking for things. I'm getting better at it. And so I was like, you know what? You're right. So we did a, we did a food, a food drive. And for not just for food, but for resources, for necessities. And in nine weeks, we raised like 75 grand. Then you get that money and then you're like, wow, this is a lot. This is a lot of money, you know, so we have to figure out. And so what we did is we just started giving food out from meals to food deliveries to using, you know, apps like like Instacart. Just, I mean, we went after it for months and months and we're still doing that. So if there's one bright side to the COVID and to how it's impacted our program is that, that that has now been built into our program. So like there's groups that we send, you know, we'll send like once a week or once every two weeks food for 12 families or just things like that. And we work with, and there, you know, like there's families out there that get, get these types of services too. So we gave away a lot of food. It was a lot of work, but boy, let me tell you, did that feel good? And just knowing that because like, Pre-COVID, food insecurity for these, for these families and you know for these neighborhoods, it was already a major issue, yeah. challenge, right? Yeah. And and COVID only just, I mean, blasted that times ten, really, you yeah. know, because you have you have to think about, you know, the income that's coming in or not coming in, kids being at home all day. You know, we we also did some great stuff with Patagonia, where we did back to school stuff, which has within the after the first summer of COVID. We filled backpacks with school supplies, computers, headphones, everything, because we knew that the kids were going to be going back into school at home, which was another huge challenge, right? I mean, I have two kids. It was it's a massive challenge to do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I'm going to stick to my to my guns on that, and that's going to be something we're going to do moving forward. Well, it makes sense. I mean, for people who are listening to this that aren't familiar with San Francisco, the Bayview, Hunter's Point the Tenderloin, predominantly black neighborhoods. Yeah. And San Francisco, wherever you are in the city, you're only a couple of miles from the beach or yeah. the ocean. Yeah. And it's interesting, you're taking care of the two biggest insecurities. One, the awareness of where you live and the, the benefits of the ocean for them and the, the food that they need. So the connection doesn't sound like it makes sense, but it makes perfect sense. Yeah, it does. And again, you know, as you build those relationships, I mean, it's interesting, you know, there's been families that, you know, we will give some to, and, and they don't want to ask again. So, you know, so we have to kind of build that trust by asking them over and over, you know, Hey, what do you guys need? You know? And so it's been really cool to see. And, and, and we've built a lot of really strong relationships and helped a lot of families along the way. Yeah. You know, I know there's a, there's, if you follow surfing a little bit, you know, with Kelly Slater, who's, for people who don't know, the most famous and accomplished surfer of all time. He's built a surf ranch in the Central Valley of yeah. California. And there's a lot of other people building these wave pools all over the United States. So that's coming. So 
I'm hoping that this surf vibe and the surf opportunity are going to come to all these people who do not live near the ocean in the not too distant future. Yeah. Yeah. We had the opportunity to take our, some of our kids to the surf ranch. Yeah. Kelly Slater surf ranch is, it's kind of a, it's a uh, kind of a club med experience. <laughs> <laughs> we were the first group of our kind to go there and it was, there's a little thing that surf, uh, surf line has on there. It's actually on our website, but you know, some of the kids that have been with us for a long time came and man, it was so cool. Yeah, I bet. And we had the whole place to ourselves for like a couple hours and unreal, you know, it's pretty special. Yeah. 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 So that's, that's, I, I think that's a great thing because I, as I now tell people of all the things you could do for yourself, especially for some with my situation, the ocean is the number one thing. Yeah. But I, you know, you can't, it's hard to tell somebody in Nevada and Wyoming. Sure. You know, and a lot of people never even see the ocean in their lifetime. So these opportunities for these, these wave ranches and surf pools and everything coming around, I think that could be a good thing for people. So yeah, it's moving water. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. You I think know, it's going to be it's great. It's moving water, river, you know, lakes, right. anything, right. anything yeah. that's moving, you know, I think it's, it, it's still, I think the ocean's like the ultimate for me personally. Others would say it's the rivers or whatnot, you know, but, um, but it's moving water. Yeah. You know, and Miwater, you know, you've had the pleasure of coming down to the Good Tidings Winter Wonderland the past couple of Decembers. I have. Let me and tell bringing you. some of your kids from the Bayview and the Hunter's Point. And how was that experience for these kids to uh, kind of pick out a bike or a skateboard or whatever they wanted? Oh, man. I wish <laughs> All right, that, that, man, Larry, that's one of God's gifts right there. That was doing that with the kids is so special. I can see why you do it. I remember the first time we did it, and I was trying to explain to one of the families or the mothers. I was like, I'm like, yeah, we're going to go to this place. It's called the Winter Wonderland. And, you know, the kids just get gifts. And, the, and she was like, well, what, like, what's the catch? <laughs> you know, I'm like, well, you know how we take, you know, your son surfing and, and there's no catch? And she's like, yeah. She's like, well, that's what it is. There's no catch. There's no, it's just unconditional giving, which I think is, I do want to mention that because that's kind of one of my main connections with you, I think, and what I've seen you do, which why you're such a, a hero of mine and a mentor is that, you know, it's unconditional giving, right? And that, and that role modeling to me is, you know, as a kid, I used to have heroes, even in my younger adult years, you know, my heroes were all people that were you know, really excellent at what they did or sports people. I mean, you look up on the wall and I mean, I've got my Ronnie Lott signed photo up there. <laughs> Shout out to the Niners. But why do I look up to Ronnie Lott now? Because this is just an example and yourself included because of what he does and how he gives and, and it's unconditional, you know? So it's stuff like that where I'm like, yeah. And those kids, I mean, the pictures that we took and it's such a cool thing that you, that you've done. And I hope that, I hope that you're proud of it. Well, should be. yeah, I, yeah, and and I think, I think the authenticity of what hopefully we are doing shows through to the kids, and there's a comfort level and a trust level, and we built that, and it takes a little time, but I think it does yeah, come. But. Yeah, for sure. But it's it's just that simple act, right? Which we've talked a little bit about this, what around intentions or motives, and when your motive is so pure like that, I can't imagine anybody saying anything negative about that, you know, yeah. and so. And God, at the end of the day, isn't that what it's all about? Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, like you could have everything you wanted in life and all these things and whatever the things are in your life that you want to have at the end, I guess. Yeah. You know, but I would just want to be able to have, you know, a loving family and look back on impact. Yeah, no doubt. And that to me is impact, man. That is just pure impact. Yeah. 
And it's unconditional. Yeah. Yeah, I always tell people it's, it's the smiles, it's common sense that's the impact. Sometimes charities get evaluated on quantitative measures. Sure. But when I see a kid in our winter wonderland or I see that four-year-old yesterday in the water in the ocean, the smiles and the joy and the peace of mind they have for that moment, that's the impact. Can't yeah. measure that analytically, which a lot of people like to get into now, but for me, that's that's the win. So. Yeah. So anyway, I, I, I want to thank you for your time today. We're definitely going to share in our show notes and on our website ways for people to know more about MeWater, how to connect with MeWater. I thank you for your time today and the path you have taken to help these amazing young people in such a unique way and, and just really the overall kindness of the surf community. Now that I've engaged in it more, it's not shocking that people – in and around and of the ocean are kind, generous people in general. So in general, you. yeah. Yeah. In so, general, yeah. unless you're taking their waves. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for today, man. I, I really appreciate it. And it, it's always a good day to hang with you. So yeah, thank buddy. You. Thanks so much. You have just enjoyed an episode of the Good Tidings Podcast highlighting the goodness in people. To learn more about and to support the Good Tidings Foundation, log on to goodtidings.org. This monthly program is brought to you by the generosity of responseresponsibility.org. Don't miss out on the Good Tidings podcast by reviewing and subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.